Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, I long ago lost track of the number of people in my life who have uh, come to me with a problem or a choice or a decision uh, that they had to make, and after pouring out all the issues and some of the alternatives that they can think of, they, they look at you and say, so tell me what to do. And, uh, you know, for me, that's kind of like candy. Uh, uh, Because as some of you know, I love telling people what to do. And uh, some people love telling me where to go. (laughs) On the other hand, I've also lost track of the number of times that I've been on the other side of that uh, same conversation. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that sometimes it's actually a little easier to just tell somebody what to do than it is to actually help them to make a decision for themselves that is healthy and good for them. Not to mention the fact that we don't always know what to say to them. And so with that, I want to welcome you to uh, part one of a two-part sermon for these early weeks of summer entitled Decision Time in which I would like to talk with you this week and next week about what it means for you to make and help others to make godly decisions and choices in life. Because, uh, after all, it's also been said that uh, life basically is one decision after another. I mean, all day long, ranging from what you're going to have for breakfast to who you're going to marry and how you're going to spend your life. Some decisions are mundane. Other ones are game changers. And many of the decisions that face us in life come with uh, some sort of tug of war between logic on one hand and emotion on the other. Ask anybody who ever bought a house or got into a relationship that maybe felt right, but it wasn't right. Some people seem to have a pretty easy time making decisions, and others are known for sitting on the fence, kind of like the guy who went to his counselor who asked him, you know, do you have a hard time making decisions? And the guy said, well, yes and no. (laughs) Uh, And yet in a book that I picked up that one of our groups here at church uh, has been using, it says, and I quote, that every day we make choices, And then our choices make us. And there's a lot of truth to that. But the real reason for this two-part sermon uh, is my hunch that we often forget or at least underutilize the spiritual aspects of making decisions about the choices we face with respect to things like careers and jobs and relationships and finances and the long list of of other things, and also because I believe that uh, if we can make life's biggest decisions well, so many of the remaining decisions will much more easily fall into place, although it seems like we often get that the, the other way around, and we focus on many of the little minutiae decisions that we face in life while never sometimes even getting to the biggest decisions in life, you know, sort of like the couple who spends a lot of time and energy planning the wedding, but not really planning the marriage, so that at some point down the road, they look back and they wonder, you know, what were we thinking? Well, they may, maybe they weren't thinking. 
And so uh, next week, I plan to talk with you about a faith-based spiritual process for making decisions in your life with respect to those careers, jobs, changes in your life, whether to go forward, whether to stay put. But today I want to get to the big decision and begin with it. With the biggest decisions that can change your life, and a passage that comes to us from the Old Testament book of Joshua, which you heard a moment ago, and in which uh, we have a group of people who make a decision that changes everything for them and for the people in the world around them because they were led by a man of God. And that man, as you heard, of course, was Joshua, the great military leader and strategist, the one-time assistant and ultimate successor to the great Moses who also is the one who ultimately finally leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua, as you might know, uh, was uh, one of the 12 spies or scouts that Moses uh, sends into Canaan to check out the land and bring back a report. And he's only uh, one of just two who give it a thumbs up. Joshua is with Moses at Sinai. He is with Moses in the Exodus. He is Moses' companion and his sidekick and his mentee. And so when the time comes for Moses' ministry to conclude, the baton is passed to Joshua. In fact, uh, maybe the most or second most uh, popular passage in the book that bears his name, uh, Joshua is being commissioned by God after the death of Moses, and God's given him a pep talk. And uh, Joshua hears the words, Be strong and courageous, and don't be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I left those words on the bulletin board of our daughter's dormitory room when we dropped her off for her freshman year in college. It's Joshua 1.9 for those who are dropping off daughters and sons this fall. The problem, of course, is that once they, you know, get to that new adventure and and they arrive in that new land and they unpack and they settle down, life starts to get pretty good. And when it does, they start slipping away from God. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. And so not only does uh, the children of Israel, do the children of Israel start slipping away from God, they also start slipping in the direction of false gods. And Joshua gets word that they're putting up uh, idols made of wood and, and metal representing these false gods in their homes, some of which they brought from Egypt, some of which they got from neighboring nations, some of which were handed down to them by their ancestors, and, and all of which were muddying the waters of their faith. And so when Joshua hears about this, He calls a meeting, a summit of the leaders of Israel at a place called Shechem, which was centrally located among its 12 tribes. And Joshua, by the way, is the one who carved up the land into their 12 territories. So there's no, you know, under or overestimating this guy. But by this point, you know, he's an old man. I mean, he's not much younger than Moses was when he he died. And this was going to be his last meeting with them. And in that meeting, he delivers what amounts to be his farewell address to them. And he reviews his ministry with them. And he talks about all that they had been through together. 
you know, and how we cried out to God when we were in Egypt, making bricks in the heat of the day, being abused. And God heard our prayer. He sent the plagues, and he got us across the sea and into the wilderness where he fed us. And then ultimately, he led us across the waters of the Jordan River and into that promised land of milk and honey and vineyards and olive groves. And after all that, he says, here you are putting up the idols of false gods that never did anything for you, and they never will because they are fake. And so with that as context, the great Joshua calls on the children of Israel to make a decision in what to me is the most well-known verse in the book that bear his, bears his name that you find on any numbers of kitchen plaques that was uh, on the cake in the church basement on the Sunday before I left for seminary in which Joshua the prophet says to the people of Israel, you got to make a choice. Choose this day who you will serve. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not someday, not when you feel like it. Today. After which he adds, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because he goes on to say, we have a very jealous God who wants nothing to come between us and him. He wants no other gods before him, which I seem to have read someplace. I also said that the, you know, this uh, leadership summit that he calls is at, at this place called Shechem, which is centrally located for the 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see that if you look at a map. And yet it also just so happens that many years earlier, all the way back in the book of Genesis, the patriarch Jacob, he's got the same problem with false gods and idols to false gods. And, and what Jacob does is he gathers them up and he takes them and he buries them in the ground under a tree so that they'd be out of sight, out of mind, buried. And you know where he does that? You guessed it. At Shechem. And so with that as background, Joshua says to the leaders of Israel, it's decision time. You've got to get off the fence. You've got to choose who you are going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, the one true God. And by the grace of God and through the strength and courage of that godly leader, the leaders of Israel completely agree, and they say, you know, you're absolutely right. Far be it from us to serve other gods. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And with that, the meeting is adjourned. The decision is made. The idols are buried. And the story of Joshua, the great leader, the successor to Moses himself, ends with his death at the ripe old age of 110. Well, I said a minute ago that uh, next week I'm going to talk about a, uh, a process, a spiritual process for making decisions about the myriad of choices that, y- that you might face in your life. But friends, you can't make any of those choices, at least not godly ones. 
without first settling the issue that Joshua puts before the children of Israel and watching how all the other choices in life tend to fall into place from there. But before we get to next Sunday, before we get to next Monday and meet again, I want to leave you with just you know, three very simple, very important questions for you to ponder and think about as you go out of here today. The first is, who or what are the idols in your life? Whether it's a, a material thing, or maybe it's a relationship, or maybe it's some behavior that's got hold of you, it's causing you to slip away from God. Who or what are the idols in your life? And the second is, who can you identify as the Joshua in your world today? The person who loves you, who has the strength and the courage and the conviction to call a question for you or for me whenever we find ourselves slipping away from our life in Christ. And the third question is, what do you think would be different? What would your life look like if Jesus really was at the center of everything? including the tough decisions that you will inevitably face along the way. There's one other thing i got to talk to you about today, and of course, you know, this is the most important part of all. It's best for last. And it has to do with the fact that, as some of you know, you know, our Lutheran theology has always been very skittish about the language of decision and saying, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to get saved, and I'm giving my heart to God, because at the end of the day, you know, we believe that it's not about us, and we don't, we don't want to send even the slightest, tiniest impression that we get even a little bit of credit for what Christ alone has done for us. But that said, in his farewell address to the people of Israel before he died, Joshua told them, You've got a choice to make about who you're going to serve. And in his farewell address to the people of Israel before he died, Moses, his predecessor, said the same thing. Life is filled with choices. Some of them are life-giving. Some of them are death-producing. Choose for life. But here's the thing. Our motivation for making decisions, our basis for making the godly choices that we make in life really don't come from Joshua, and they don't come from Moses. Because they come from the Gospel of John, where in his farewell address to his followers who he loved before he died, Jesus speaks to them, and you know what he says to them? He says, You did not choose me. I chose you. And I made the decision to come right into your life, to enter your world, to walk with you every day through the wilderness. And I'm going to get you by my grace into the promised land. See, when we know that, when I know and I feel the power of God's choice for me, His decision for you, 
You know, that's when I can respond to the greatest news in the world with the greatest decision of my life and say, you know what? I'm done with the idols. They're going into the ground. Because as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord and then watch so many other decisions in life begin to fall into place for the glory of God. Next week at our four services, uh, we are going to welcome 45 new members into our church family. This week, I want to invite you to join me in giving thanks for the decisions that have led to these new brothers and sisters to make their spiritual home here at St. Andrew. I want you to invite uh, them into our fellowship together. I want to encourage you uh, to pray that God will richly bless their decisions as I pray that God would bless all of our decisions so that wherever you go, you may choose to serve the Lord, knowing that the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.